Welcome to another episode of the CC Podcast Conversations, where inspiring Christians share their faith-filled stories. Please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast, leave a five-star rating, and write a review. This helps push our content to a broader audience. Are you new to listening? Check out our other podcasts. First, the CC Podcast Daily Dose Devotions, where we're walking through the Bible, focusing on short clips of Scripture. Second is the CC Broadcast, where our weekly radio programming is archived. These podcasts are available wherever you're listening or at christiancrusaders.org. Okay, let's get started with today's episode. Here's our host, Matt Reister, the Executive Director of Christian Crusaders. Hey everybody, Matt Reister with the CC Podcast Conversations. I'm here with Andrew. Andrew, what's up today? Having a great Monday. Yes, sir. And we are still putting together some interviews from NRB, National Religious Broadcasters Convention. Today, you're going to hear an interview with, I think, the smartest guy that I interviewed. His name's Dave Richardson. Did that come through? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. He's a brainiac. Oh, yeah. Like, full-blown. I mean, present company excluded. Right. But (laughs) no, I'm just kidding. I'm totally kidding. (laughs) But you can speak for yourself. He's smarter than me. Uh, No, he is. He's got me too. I'm not, I'm not going to, yeah. No, he's, he is definitely, it was in, in my listening through the first, uh, the first time of this, it was great how many times he said something and you just kind of like pause. And you're like, okay. I'm trying to digest this. I, I think I got what you just said. <laughs> I think I actually said that. A you you times. did, like two or three times. Yeah. It was like it was like I feel like we need to hand you like some pencil and a paper or something like that. You just scroll it out or something. But no, he he absolutely and 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 he has to be, right? Because that's part of his uh part of his mission, which you don't think about. You know, you don't think about the fact that like um that the professors and the, the, the staff at universities need to need the gospel absolutely as much as the students do. And, and you, you have to have, I'm not saying you have to know as much of as much chemistry as a chemistry prof, but you have to be able to speak their language. You have to be yeah thinking on their level. Yeah. And man, it's it sort of, I, I, it was, it was a small mind blowing experience for me listening to this just because um (laughs) sinfully i i i sort of look at at a lot of uh college professors as a whole and think like lost cause yep see you later i'm not even interested i i even said that in the interview yeah i said i i that's the last thing i want to be engaged with is college professors for the sake of the gospel right those guys can walk off a cliff it's just and it's terrible. It is like it's not. That's not a. That's not an okay. Um, but you know, it's just in my own experience and, and what you what you see, social media and, and on the actual media. Wow, I mean, what a fortress to try and lay siege to. So but, his his story and it's it's evident to me. God providentially positioned him for this project that he's working on. He wrote a book called Transparent. And he's got a website called Learn to Discern and the Learn to Discern Institute, which helps people see through the assumptions that they have so they can get to truth. Yeah. He's got this pri- proprietary method of helping people get to the bottom of their assumptions. It's a lot of logic. Yep. And, uh, and but he started out with crew. Well, he started in the military. And yep. then he did some work with crew, Campus Crusade for Christ. I think it's hilarious when he got the call from Josh McDowell. I mean, Josh McDowell called and asked him if he wanted to work for him. Mm-hmm. 
or it might have been crew. And he, he's like, you know, fairly flattering, you know, fairly exciting maybe. And he's like, eh, the only thing I would possibly be interested in doing for you guys is research. <laughs> Like, I'm the guy who's right. like, I want to go to college campuses and hang out with college kids and have fun. Yeah. He's like, I want to research. And, and so the Lord just wired this yeah, guy. exactly. In a unique way. Exactly. And and his, what I, and I have to say this, the way he approaches apologetics is, is absolutely left brain, right brain with Dave Glander, another friend of the podcast. Yeah. It, it's like... He basically Those, said, don't use the word worldview, didn't he? Right. He's like, whoa, wait a minute. I've been doing worldview stuff my whole life. Yeah. But I, I like, I, I see those two, those two guys are both doing apologetics, but they are two sides of the same coin and, and two very different sides of the same coin. And gosh, to see how God uses different people in different ways for that same purpose. For sure. Wow. They, We've had a couple interviews with Dave Glander, and he sat on some even even additional interviews with us at NRB. He's with Reasons for Hope, who is our NRB sponsor. And uh, so you can hear from Dave Glander if you're not sure who he is based on what you just heard Andrew say. He's in several of our podcast episodes. The other thing I need to explain is this is another one of those interviews that got cut off. Yeah. Toward the end of the week, the last day, our soundboard was being stupid, and... and uh, it's so, either our soundboard or the power supply. Yeah. And, and it must have been the power supply because the soundboard's asking, acting fine. Yeah. So we, uh, we don't know exactly who plugged what in where at the, at the conference. But, but this, this is one where I called off a couple interviews that are just never going to get published. Yeah. But I was, I was partway into the conversation, just hearing some of his background. Uh, you're not missing a ton in what, what got cut out of this interview. Yeah. But as I, as I was, Walking into it, I was like, man, this is an interview we've got to have. And so we actually took my cell phone and yeah. walked down the hall. We were in the Pray.com room. Okay. And uh, there was no one in there, so we just grabbed a couple chairs in there and kind of talked back and forth on, on my iPhone. So you're going to hear some pops in there. Yep. It's just not as good a quality because we're talking in my iPhone. But the, the content is is rich, rich stuff. I'll work my magic with uh, with Adobe, and we'll, we'll make sure people can hear it. Awesome. Thanks for tuning in, guys. You're going to enjoy this interview Dave Richardson. Okay, so we had some technical difficulties, and Dave and I are back on my iPhone because it looks like our soundboard might have fried. Uh, so thanks for being patient and flexible, Dave. I was just getting ready to kind of say, okay, now you became a Christian in college. Yep. And as we've been walking around looking for a quiet place to do the rest of this on my iPhone, you were filling me in on the process by which you were going to go into aviation and the Air Force, ROTC, mm-hmm. ended up getting out of your contract to pursue ministry Yes, at the recommendation and blessing of your Air Force people. Yeah. And we're at a Campus Crusade winter conference and uh, ran into Josh McDowell's ministry. Mm-hmm. And so pick it up there. And what we're really doing is getting your story of you know, kind of your background. So it'll help us understand the context from which you're doing what you're doing now. Sure. Well, uh, at that point, uh, you know, they were looking for writers and schedulers and financial people. I said, that, that, that's not me. Uh, that's not me at all. Uh, I said, the only thing that you guys do that might be of interest to me is research. And they said, well, let's, 
not just anybody that we have do that. But uh, at, at the moment, actually, there's a couple of the guys on the research team down at the end of the table. Why don't you go talk with them? So I went down there, um, visited with them for, I don't know, 45 minutes, and they were quite intrigued by this young guy who was 23 years old uh, and uh, how much I had learned in apologetics at that point. Uh, well, the short of it was uh, right after uh, school got started, my last semester in college, uh, in uh, early January, I get a letter in my campus mailbox from Josh McDowell uh, inviting me to come down to Dallas. They said, we would really like to uh, have you consider coming to work with us. And uh, all you have to do is just you know reply and we'll fly you down. And I'm thinking, oh boy, what do I do now? Because I still haven't heard back from the Air Force whether they're going to turn me loose yet or not. And uh, I didn't want to miss an opportunity, but at the same time, I didn't want to say, oh, I can come back in nine years. <laughs> so uh, I'm asking God, what do I do? What do I do? And I, I just had this impression from the Lord that you need to say yes to Josh. So I did. And the next day, I got a, uh, a big folder in my mailbox, uh, my campus mailbox, with an honorable discharge from the United States Air Force. Wow. So um, I'm noticing that now the battery on my phone is ticking down. So we're at 30% and it's going down. I don't know how fast, but um, you spent some time with Josh McDowell. Yes. You get involved with Campus Crusade. What did mm -hmm. you do with Campus Crusade? Well, I, uh, I was a researcher for Josh. And then when I met my wife and got married, I uh, worked in performing arts ministry, both uh, uh, as an actor and a musician. And then uh, worked on some international church mission projects uh, for a couple of years uh, and but, you know, I'd been going along this trajectory away from the Air Force into ministry and began to uh, kind of have a sense that there's lots of people that can play instruments, lots of people that can uh, direct projects and other things like that. What have you uniquely cut me out for? And he told me, cultural and intellectual influencers is really what I've cut you out for, uh, uh, for a long-term ministry. And so, oh, well, who does that? And I started looking through the staff directory and I discovered there was another ministry that did that. Uh, it was a ministry at that time, it was called Christian Leadership Ministries. It's now called Faculty Commons. It's Campus Crusade's ministry to college professors. And I thought, now I could sink my teeth into that. <laughs> uh, How many people are cut out for that? I mean, that, you're a brainiac and an intellectual, and you can kind of mix it up with those folks. Yeah. But that sounds like I worked for the Canadian arm of Campus Crusade, helping lead their digital strategies which gave me a lot of flexibility and was kind of exciting and on the cutting edge. And I got to kind of be the face of it. There's nothing about ministering to faculty members that interests me whatsoever. How many, how many of you guys are there? Uh, well, at, um, at the time that uh, uh, I left, uh, there was about a hundred, uh, about 120 staff, I think with the faculty ministry. Wow. It's uh, it's one of the largest faculty ministries there are. There's not many of them. Uh, most people uh, uh, think of campus crusade as a student ministry, but actually, uh, they have a pretty significant faculty ministry team. So you said you were in Baton Rouge. No. No. Atlanta. Atlanta mm -hmm. at Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech. That's right. Sorry, I'm mixing up another guy I talked to. Georgia Tech, and you kind of built the ministry from the ground up. So yep. what did that entail? You're, what we're going to get to here is that you're part of a process to help students discern yes. truth from lies. Sure. And so I'm I'm kind of building the foundation of, of what led you to that process. So you built this ministry at Georgia Tech yes. from the ground up, mm -hmm. which would have involved your implementing some processes yes. and learning some things about the assumptions that students fall prey to. 
Right. Which uh, would have certainly influenced the work you're doing now. Mm-hmm. Well, I didn't immediately start looking at assumptions until later on because I was trying to solve a problem that I ran into in my ministry. Uh, and the solution ended up being uh, uh, where I am now. Uh, we started uh, uh, helping Christians who are professors uh, learn how to share their faith with their students and their coworkers, and uh, likewise reach out to atheist and agnostic professors. Uh, along the way, I uh, got a seminary degree uh, and uh, more formal training in apologetics, and then later on went on and got a Master of Theology in Applied Theology, Practical Theology, from the University of Oxford. Uh, and as I was doing that, my research project for the, uh, my degree was studying atheist and agnostic professors, trying to understand our target audience. Why do they like atheism? Why do they stiff arm God? And can you give me any clue how I can reach you for Christ? And I designed a, a social science research project around that, and I interviewed a bunch of atheist professors. Uh, and they told me what I needed to know. That is, that is so fascinating. I am not an academic. I've got a couple degrees, but by hook and by crook, uh, not because I enjoyed studying and, and researching, but that that's uh, a report or a dissertation or whatever that I would really enjoy reading. You must have learned a ton. I did. I did. Uh, I, I, Were you surprised or was it stuff you expected? No, I, I didn't know what to expect uh, because uh, up until that time, we, it, it was more like, let's try this, let's try that and, and hope something sticks. But, you know, that's not a very effective approach. I wanted to hear from them, not let's try something and see if, if it works with them. No, I want them to tell me. <laughs> and they did. Uh, the, the two big things that I learned from that is that most Christians uh, don't look much different than other uh, people who aren't Christians. They just use this label. That's the way that most skeptics think of us. But we have a message that addresses that. It's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. If you're filled with the Spirit, it's, it's the life of Christ himself living through us. And if he's living through you, then you will look different. But if he isn't, you don't. Uh, it's just that we don't preach that message nearly as much as we need to. But the other thing that I discovered is that it didn't matter whether they were engineers or whether they're economists or whether they're literature professors or whatever. Uh, all of the atheists and agnostics that I uh, interviewed, every one of them, uh, didn't think that God was a very good explanation for the world and how it works. In other words, he doesn't contribute to knowledge. Sure, he's a coping mechanism for your personal life. It makes you feel better, helps you through uh, difficult times, that kind of thing. I'm sure. I'm glad that works for you. I have something else, and that works for me. But when you invoke God as an explanation for something and a, and a, and a paradigm for knowledge in the classroom and in the laboratory, uh, that doesn't, uh, that, that, that's a disconnect. They don't understand how that is even possible. But whenever they discover a Christian who has actually done it, they want to talk to that person because they're not impressed with your, uh, your excellent character. They're interested in your excellent research, your excellent scholarship. Your mental acuity, your yes. ability to defend this stuff intellectually. Yes, and, and to be able to give at least a plausible explanation. And the professors that could do that, the skeptics wanted to talk to them. Uh, and, and so I realized the key to evangelism with these skeptics is being able to connect God to real-world things. Uh, and so then I would ask these professors, what does God have to do with what you do? Because if the problem of the education system are the ideas that come out of it, and the graduates with their heads stuffed full of those ideas, who produces the product? You do. You're the professor. But if you teach the same course the same way as the atheists do, you're the problem. I don't have to fix the atheists. I have to fix you because you're teaching the same stuff the same way. And so what does God have to do with what you do? 
uh, well, what does God have to do with a chem chemical equation? Uh, I teach 18 weeks of calculus. I mean, uh, I could talk about God or not talk about God. I don't really see it makes that much difference in my class. Now, out of class, sure, I get it. Uh, and I'm all over that. But in my work, uh, I, I want to know, but I don't know how. Uh, and so actually, these guys are not much more sophisticated than their own students when it comes to theology and philosophy. So just to go on a little bit of a rabbit trail, answer the question for me about calculus. Mm -hmm. What is, how, how do you integrate God into that? How do you connect God to calculus? Well, you know, it, uh, calculus equations describe real things in the real world, uh, elegantly and accurately. The first thing I ask is, what is that real world in the first place? What's the nature of it? Is it just a physical-only universe, or are there spiritual or, or mental things involved? Uh, so it, that begins to get at what the underlying core assumption a person's operating from. Likewise, uh, uh, not only do they elegantly and accurately describe that real world, but that real world operates in a repeatable, predictable uh, way so that 2 plus 2 equals 4 today. It equals that tomorrow and the next day. Why would you expect that? Because if the thing that drives the universe is a random interaction of matter and energy, why would you expect anything to be repeatable, predictable, and regular? Why is the universe lawful? Well, the, uh, the, the materialist explanation uh, doesn't make any sense. But as history shows us, the early pioneers of science and mathematics understood that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. And his unchanging character is reflected in the things that he made so that the universe should re uh, operate in a repeatable, predictable way because God is repeatable, predictable, and lawful. That's, that's who he is. And by getting to know the creation, you get to know the creator more. So that's why mathematics works. That's why the scientific method was invented by Christians. And that's why it does work because it describes the real world that we live in. So get us to the point where you start this process that you've written this book about. Sure. Well, I have, um, uh, was having a conversation with um, the guy that actually started the Crusade faculty ministry back in the 80s, who uh, went on to become the president of the King's College, um, Stan Oaks. He's a good friend of mine. Uh, we were having a phone conversation uh, talking about uh, this disconnect uh, of Christian scholarship and likewise uh, the difficulty that we're having dealing with uh, uh, particularly all of this progressive ideology in the social sciences. And he said, you know, I think that if we understood the assumptions underneath the social sciences that are made up, don't work, don't describe anything real, and they hide them. They don't even tell you that they're made up. If we can reveal them for what they are, we can not only tear down the house of cards, but we can use the same technique to rebuild a Christian foundation in the, in the education system. Did you know what those assumptions were, or did you not even know what the assumptions were yet? I didn't even know what they were yet. Okay. Uh, I just thought, now that's an interesting tactic. Because, uh, because you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I have that military side to me. Uh, uh, you know, it's, it's a constant chess game. It's a war. But it's not a, a war with, uh, with physical weapons. It's a war with spiritual weapons and mental weapons uh, in, in academia. Uh, so I thought, now that would be an interesting thing to look at. He said, why don't you play with it and see what you come up with? It took me five years of, uh, uh, of rigorous uh, work to figure out what assumptions are, how they work, because nobody writes about them, and the specific ones that people make and discover a pattern in them so that I could create a tool that detects them and reveals whether they're true, whether they're not, and why, 
and to be able to do it so fast, it's, it literally can be done in 30 seconds. That's incredible. So um, the book that you've got here is called Transparent. I can't read the subtitle. You can tell it to me in a second. But on the picture is the, like a side profile of an iceberg or a glacier. You got the smaller portion of it, of course, sticking up above the waterline and the larger portion below the waterline, just like any iceberg picture you've ever seen. Sure. Um, what is the subtitle and what's up with the cover of the book? What are you trying to say there? How to see through the powerful assumptions that control you. That's the subtitle. Say it again. How to see through the powerful assumptions that control you. Okay. Uh, because our core assumption about reality controls everything that we say, everything we do, and everything we think. Uh, and the iceberg analogy, what that's all about, is the top part of the iceberg uh, is kind of analogous to the issues, the policies, uh, the things that we're trying to explain, the things we talk about, the things we debate every day. Uh, I have this position, they have this position, she has this position uh, on different things, and we agree or disagree on them. But, you know, when we're having discussions at that level, that's the thing we see. So that's the thing we talk about. And we think, oh, well, we've got that silver bullet argument that's going to knock it out. And, uh, but it doesn't. They're not persuaded. What happened? That seemed perfectly obvious, but they didn't move. It's because you've maybe knocked off a, a, a chunk of ice off the top of the iceberg, but it just grows more. You lopped off the head of the hydra, it just grows two more. Why? Because you haven't dealt with the deeper set of ideas underneath it that makes their position possible, the plausibility structure. And at the bottom of it, is a raw assumption about what's real. So can you walk us through an example that kind of fleshes this out in detail? I, you told me yesterday when we were talking about this that there's a pri proprietary process here, which I'm sure is what you're laying out in the book. And you and maybe have courses a, and everything. Yeah. yeah, workbook, courses, all this stuff. But to like, I feel like we're touching on concrete. Mm -hmm. This has been largely abstract. Yes. I'm tracking with you. Yeah. Uh, but I want our audience to, if you can give like a specific example of getting down to a core assumption. Sure. Yeah, it, uh, it's real easy. Uh, like, like, for instance, uh, uh, when I'm doing a seminar, I'll play a clip from a TV show or a movie or a music video or a podcast or something or other like that. And so you've got a message that you're trying to figure out. Is this message true? Should I buy it or is it not? Can you give me an example from a movie or a video clip? Yeah, yeah. Uh, one that I like to use a lot, because it's a real easy one, is uh, from the movie Thor. Uh, uh, 2011, I think, is uh, when it came out. There's a scene towards the end of the movie, uh, right before the epic battle between Thor and Loki, and you know, they're going to duke it out, and Loki's wiping out the frost giants. And Thor comes into the room, and he says, Why are you doing this? And Loki replies, to, to prove to Father that I'm a worthy son, and when he awakes, he'll see that I've saved his life, I've destroyed this race of monsters, and I'll be true heir to the throne. And Thor says, you can't kill an entire race. And Loki says, why not? So I, uh, the, the, uh, I just play that clip, and I say, okay, what are they telling you that they're not telling you? What are they assuming that they're not revealing to you? Then I walk through my critical assumptions test. Does the clip... And this TV show that you're watching, or this movie that we're watching, does it have anything to do with people? Yes or no? Yes, it does. Now, which of these four questions is the subject of that scene in the movie? What were they really talking about? Were they talking about what a human being is? Were they talking about how we acquire knowledge? Were they talking about what's good? Or were they talking about what humanity's basic problem is? 
What's good? Yeah, exactly. They're talking about what's good. Is it good to kill an entire race of people, as a matter of fact? That's, uh, that, that's the subject that the, that the scene's about. How did they answer the question? There's three possible answers based on their core assumption. Good is whatever, I, and I'm not talking about an ethical theory here. I'm just simply saying when you use the word good, what do you mean by that? Is good whatever I decide it is or whatever we decide it is, you know, the group of people that agrees with me? Uh, good's just whatever we decide it is. Or is good whatever makes me or the world better? Or is good who God is in his person and character? How did they answer it in that scene in the movie? Whatever makes a better world. <laughs> and uh, uh, that better world is Asgard ruling over the nine realms, and of course Loki wants to be in charge of Asgard. <laughs> so it's, it, it's, a, it's a sociopolitical ideal, essentially. Uh, that's, uh, that's the definition of good, whatever achieves that sociopolitical ideal. That's how they answer the question. That's a type two assumption. Uh, uh, so it's a, it's a force, uh, what I call a type two assumption, it's an idealistic assumption. The thing that's only real is some kind of sociopolitical ideal. Physical things, eh, they may or may not be important. They probably don't matter. They may not even be real at all, but the thing that's important is this uh, perfect humanity that we can create together. If we all work together with our enlightened guidance and collective effort, we can build a better world. So let's get back to the original point of this that I read, which is at the top of this, about kids leaving the church. Yes. Um, how does cracking that nut interact with this process? It has to do with uh, some interviews that I did with parents. I was asking them, uh, how important is it to you that your child remain a Christ follower into their young adult life? 100% of them said it's the number one priority. There are, any parent that cares at all about their faith, that's, that's their number one priority. But I asked them, how confident are you that your child will actually remain a Christ follower in, into your, their young adult life? Only 38% of them expressed any kind of confidence. And I thought, wow, that's interesting. So what are you doing specifically to equip them for the increasingly hostile anti-Christian world that they're going to have to live in and lead in? Let me just second that. I, I say that all the time. An increasingly hostile environment, in America at least, mm -hmm. you can't say this is the worst of times ever no. in the history of the world. You can say in America it is, without question, in terms of hostility toward the truth of God's word and toward the gospel of Jesus Christ. I just want to say amen to that. Yep. I, lo I love how you said that. Yep. So what we got there, uh, uh, you know, we're asking, what, what, so what are you doing? I said, well, we homeschool them. We send them to Christian schools. They're involved in the church and the ministries at our church. And we do home Bible studies and retreats and conferences and uh, Christian media. We have conversations about contemporary issues and the Christian faith. And I thought, those are all great things. You're, you're engaged with your students. That's great. And so why is their confidence so low if they're doing these things. And, and then I was looking at some data from uh, the Arizona Christian University's Cultural Research Center, you know, where George Barna is. There are 22 uh, American Worldview Inventory and uh, discovered a startling thing in there. And that is, of all people who self-identify as born-again Christians in America, only 35% of them believe there's such a thing as absolute truth. 35%. And if they're under the age of 30, it's far fewer. So what, what's essentially going on, there's a strategic error being made by parents, by ministries, and churches. And it is this. We are 
repeatedly and often exposing students to truth through all of those activities, through schools, ministries, studies, retreats, et cetera, et cetera. We're exposing students to truth with no equipping to recognize truth as truth. So it's like if I walked into your yard with a tiger and you didn't know what a tiger was, that thing could eat you. So even if the, uh, if the truth comes from God in the Bible, if the student doesn't know how to recognize truth, they'll never see it. And so, in fact, Hebrews 5.14 tells us that solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Discernment is not an innate skill, but we're assuming it is. All I have to do is expose students to truth and they'll get it. But they don't because, in, uh, because discernment is a skill, not an innate uh, uh, part of our character. It's something that requires training and practice is what the scripture tells us. And so that's what we've done is we've created a training program that is so simple uh, that it can be done in 30 seconds, yet so powerful that it changes the teaching in college and uh, university classrooms with professors. Hmm. I'm on the board of directors at a Christian school in our town. Um, my kids are homeschooled mm-hmm. and then they take some classes in the upper grades at the Christian school. They play sports over there. I coach basketball for the boys. And so I'm just thinking about, and I'm sure our audience who's listening, you know, has a bunch of different ways this could be applied, but how you're wearing a shirt that says the assumption Institute. Mm -hmm. I assume it is all this stuff. Yes. And so what do you do? Like for instance, with a Christian school like ours, well, I, uh, we've just finished uh, creating an entire semester course on uh, critical thinking and discernment using our uh, assumptions methodology so that you learn the basics of what is truth in the first place, why is something true, and ultimately, uh, true things match real things. That's the definition. That's the, what's called the correspondence theory of truth. But, you know, in a, in a slogan fashion, true things match real things, and real things are true. There are things that exist that are not real. And if you can't tell the difference, you can never discern truth. Give me an example. Unicorns. Real things that exist that are not true. No, there are things that exist that are not real. Uh, So, for instance, unicorns exist. They exist in comic books. They exist in movies. They exist as images, uh, mythical creatures in people's minds. But you can't go out into the woods, jump on its back, and go for a ride. Why? Because it's not real. (laughs) Uh, and so if you cannot discern the difference between what's real and what's not, people say, prove that God exists. That's the wrong question. God exists at the very least as a concept of the mind. The, the real question is, is God real? Ah. And if you've met Jesus, you know he's real. But people that don't know him, that's why they question his existence. They don't think he's real. This is really, really good stuff. So... Um You've got curriculums. Yes. And is it like a video curriculum? And you have high school, college, junior high level, churches, Christian schools, universities, homeschool, what? Uh, we have a version for Christian schools. Uh, and it, it would be suitable for, uh, you know, eighth grade on up probably. Uh, then we have a, a homeschool version uh, for roughly the same grade age. And we're also uh, finishing up a, a version this summer for homeschool co-ops so that uh, uh, people can take advantage of uh, learning that skill and not only learning the theory of it, but practical applications. Uh, we, uh, we, in the curriculum, will address issues like wealth inequality and the assumptions underneath it. We address issues like race and the assumptions underneath it. Uh, we address gender and the 
assumptions underneath that issue and many others and invite students to then as a part of a project to pick their uh, area of interest and apply the methodology to uh, the particular issue that's uh, uh, the thing that they bang the table over or are curious about or are concerned about. So what are you doing here at NRB? We're uh, promoting our, our, our new courses. We, we just uh, started uh, bringing them online. Uh, we have uh, the semester-long courses for Christian schools, homeschools, and homeschool co-ops. And then we also have uh, some shorter video-based courses that are for individuals uh, so they can kind of get their feet wet and learn uh, uh, the, the basics of it and learn the applications of it uh, with uh, some different contemporary uh, issues so that uh, they can learn the skill, have it change their lives, and they can pass it on to other people. So I could look at this myself. I could sit down with my family. Is it something the church should use? Sure, absolutely. Uh, it's something that uh, uh, any individual could do because you're probably thinking right now, well, I can't be like that guy. I, I, I don't have... Anywhere, in any inclination of, of uh, studying at Oxford University and working with professors and all that, you know, I'm not an intellectual. I was just going to say, I'm sitting here thinking, I've had a lot of interviews this week, and they've been great interviews with great people. And the, the breadth and the diversity within the body of Christ is incredible. I, but I think you're the smartest guy I've interviewed this week. <laughs> and, uh, and honestly, I don't envy that. <laughs> I don't, but I love what you're doing it. And um, I think it's the economy of God and his kingdom. So continue your thought about, I don't want to be that guy. I couldn't yeah. be that guy. Yeah, that, and that's why we created the things that we're doing now at LearnToDiscern.com. Because what we, the thing that you don't know about me, but I'm about to tell you, <laughs> is I'm the son of a truck driver. I grew up in a single wide trailer house, a little farm town out in the middle of nowhere. Where? Yam Hill, Oregon. <laughs> if you've ever, uh, nobody, nobody's ever heard of it. Uh, uh, you know, I was in the FFA. Uh, I, I'm just as comfortable with farmers and loggers and truckers and mechanics as I am with business leaders, politicians, and professors. So what we've done is actually distilled all those powerful, sophisticated things down into something simple that's accessible to regular people, accessible to students, accessible to parents, and people that aren't intellectuals. You've answered the question I was going to ask, I think, but I'm going to ask it anyway in case you have anything else to say to it. And that is, what have you done, what have you discovered that's different enough from what everyone else... You know, um, we just took a group through the Truth Project. Oh, yeah. I used to do that. Dell Tackett. Sure. Great material mm -hmm. about biblical worldview. Um, there are other tools, other curriculums to help build a biblical worldview uh, discern and understand truth, different homeschool curriculums I'm familiar with. What have you done that's different than all that or that's better than all that or that's something that they haven't done uh, that distinguishes your product from other products like it or in the same genre that are out there? You're asking the most dangerous question that you could possibly ask me <laughs> that will result in another hour-long interview. <laughs> what I've done is uh, after 40 years of experience doing apologetics and two postgraduate degrees and a lot of practical ministry doing all this, one of the shocking things I discovered is uh, the tactic that we use in apologetics is actually the problem. You see, the thing that we're fighting is this true for you, but not for me. We're fighting this, it's my truth, it's your truth. 
You see, there's this guy uh, about uh, 250 years ago by the name of Immanuel Kant who uh, proposed the notion that you don't know a thing itself. All you know is your sensory perception of a thing. And so your perception of something is just as valid and true for you because you're the one doing the viewing, as mine is. His student Hegel grew that, blew that up to the whole world. Not only cannot know a thing in itself, but you can't know the whole world itself. All you know is your sensory perception of it. So your perception is equally valid and true for you, just like mine is equally valid and true for me. Well, it's interesting. That way of thinking is what gave birth to this thing that we're fighting, uh, 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 like a death struggle, uh, that's, uh, that's causing students to leave the church in vast numbers. The thing is, Immanuel Kant, the guy that invented that way of thinking, gave it a name. It's called worldview. Worldview. It was a disturbing conclusion that I came to, that actually the tool that we use is the source of the problem. Because it creates the relativism. It doesn't solve it. Within our own circles, within Christian circles, we say our worldview is true, but the framework itself says nothing is true. I think I'm following you, uh, but, but say more about that. Why is worldview the problem? Why is the framework flawed? Well, what happens when uh, you go outside Christian circles and try and communicate the gospel to people, the kind of response you oftentimes get is, well, I'm glad that works for you. This works for me. And we're done dancing because that's your worldview. This is my worldview. And they're equally valid and true for you because you're the one doing the viewing. You cannot argue with the fact that it is my view. You can't say any other view is any more true than another. Uh, and, and so that, that is the source of the problem that uh, uh, when people are told that the Bible is the word of God and that the gospel is true. Well, it's true if I accept it, it's true. It's true if I believe it's true. Right. And you're saying, no, it's objectively true. Absolutely. Regard, uh, who cares what you think yeah. or I think? It is true. Yeah. And so assumptions gets around that uh, because there's three basic core assumptions about reality. Before you can say something is true, you have to have a certain understanding of what's real because true things match real things. So what's real? Well, the funny thing is we live in reality. We can't get out of it to see what it is completely. And we're not all knowing. We don't know everything. And so there's a limit to what we know and what we don't know. And when we reach that limit of what we know and don't know, we have to assume something to be real and therefore true that we don't know. Because if we knew it, we wouldn't have to assume it. But it's that thing that we assume, and that, the nature of that kind of assumption, that core assumption, is the thing you do not question. You cannot question it, because if you question it, it blows everything up. You can't make sense of anything. It gives your brain the blue screen of death. <laughs> uh, it just, boom, flatline. You can't, you can't explain anything because you question the unquestionable. It's likewise the thing that you cannot prove. It's probably not even provable. And it's the thing that you accept to be real, but you don't know it on faith, because how else can you make an assumption? You don't know it, you trust it. So in fact, every person you meet is a person of faith. They're just people of different faiths. They start with a different core assumption than Christians do, but it's equally a faith commitment. And the interesting thing is those three core assumptions are mutually exclusive. What that means is the moment you buy one, it excludes the other two. 
What that means is only one of them can be true. And which one is it? The one that regularly and accurately and reliably describes the actual world that we live in. The others may have logical consistency, yes, but there will be disconnects from reality. And when you see that disconnect from reality, it's a sure indicator that they started with a false core assumption. And it cuts right through it. And you can do it in 30 seconds. So I'm trying to think how, how to ask this question. Um, why do you think the Lord waited till now to use you to unveil something that exposes all this? I don't know. <laughs> I'm just, I, I, I'm flabbergasted that, that he gave it to me. And, uh, you know, because I'm just asking for his wisdom to help me understand this stuff. And, and having the humility to, uh, to recognize it when I, when I run into it, that it was him that gave this to me. And, uh, you know, the, the, the things as I began unpacking the nature of assumptions and, the, and, the, and discovering the patterns of how people actually do assume about reality and about all the other great things in life, where everything comes from, how everything works, where everything's going, what a human being is, how we acquire knowledge, what's good, and what's humanity's basic problem. That's my critical assumptions test. Depending on which one of those three you start, you'll answer them in one of three different ways. One of them's true, the other two are not. I'm not saying you can't believe it, you just can't say it's true. Hmm. I say and I joke about, I pride myself on not being an academic or an intellectual and and that's mostly true. But at the same time, I think that the body of Christ, maybe today in terms of this era of history, or maybe in this place in the West, is just not very thoughtful. No. We don't think a whole lot. And and that is to our demise. And I don't want to have to read Kant and understand this and apply it to... Well, I, somebody gave me a book by J.T. Wright on the resurrection. Oh, yeah. Um. And I went through it a little bit. It's like it's deep and very, very good. And I don't know that in my lifetime I'll ever read the whole thing because I just don't know if I have the patience to sit down and do that. And I say that a little bit to my own shame, but, but also to just give an example of what I'm accusing everybody else of is we just don't want to think much. No. Well, you know, the interesting thing is where would you have learned it? Uh, who would have motivated you to do it? In fact, if you think about it for a minute, what is the main ethos of this generation? Oh, I'm not judging you, man. Oh, uh, 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 don't judge me. Uh, it's, it's this whole notion of non-judgment. Well, the interesting thing about that, you know, and they quote uh, Matthew 7, 1 and other things like that about not judging people. And likewise... Which isn't what Jesus was talking about. No, of course it wasn't. <laughs> uh, but, but, but when you think about that for a minute... When it's not just being judgmental. It's also not making any judgments at all. And what is, what is the judgment? Being able to tell the difference between things. Comparing things, that's critical thinking. Being able to say, this is true, this is not, this is why. We're actively discouraging an entire generation not to do that. And they likewise reinforce that. The social media reinforces it. Uh, the culture reinforces it. That you should not judge anybody. You should accept everything because everybody's got their own truth. Where does that come from? You know, we already talked about where that comes from. Uh, and so we're, we're in this cesspool. It's a crisis of truth. And if you don't know how to recognize truth, you'll buy anything as truth. Hmm. And it may be a tiger. Hmm. Hmm.
So if someone's listening to this podcast, and I can tell you right now, I'm going to share it with Dave Glander, who is one of the speakers for Reasons for Hope, who I just announced at the beginning of our podcast as a sponsor here. Sure. They're teaching kids apologetics all the time. Yeah. Um, and he would eat this up. Those guys would eat this up. And it, it might even challenge some of the things they're doing. Sure. Um, I want to pass this along to some of the people who are involved with our Christian school, some of the other uh, parents of of kids you know, who are on the same page with my wife and I, who are trying to raise kids who know the Lord. Um, if somebody's listened to this and they're kind of pricked by it or, or interested in it, should they grab your book and read your book? Should they go on your website and look at some of your curriculum? What's, what's the next step? And I mean, I know the answer is buy everything I'm selling, but, but what, what would you recommend? Uh, well, it, it all depends on where you are. Uh, you know, if you're really intrigued by intellectual stuff, uh, yeah, my book would be great. Uh, and it's available not only as a print book, but also as a ebook and an audio book. And I read the audio book. Uh, so, uh, uh, some people like to, uh, you know, take deeper stuff more that way. Uh, but, uh, our video-based learn to discern courses, uh, they are, oh, you know, maybe three or four hours, uh, of work as you go through, you know, eight or 10 or 12, uh, uh, sessions, and you learn some of the basics, and, and all you have to do is practice it. Discernment requires training and practice. And, and uh, you can also, uh, at our website, assumptionsinstitute.org, or at the, assumption, or at the, the transparentbook.com, where the book is, uh, there are links to download the Transparent app. What that does is it automates the, transparent, or the uh, critical assumptions test. So you can carry it around on your phone, uh, the, the basic uh, uh, method. It's like training wheels for your brain. Uh, and all you do is you practice it. And you may only get it 20% of the time. That's fine. Just keep practicing. It's just like learning to ride a bike. At first, you're kind of wobbly and uh, can't get really far very fast. But after a while, you get the hang of it. And then it goes, goes, goes. And then you can have some real adventures. Uh, the uh, uh, LearnToDiscern.com website also has the long courses, the semester-long courses, uh, especially if you're uh, in a situation where you really want to dive deep to it, you want to get serious about it, then you know, go ahead and, uh, and go there and uh, you, you can do that. And uh, we, you know, we'll, I do seminars from time to time. If you uh, would like to have me come and do one of those, I can, I can do that. Uh, we're we're uh, wanting to help people you know, get their toes wet, and if they want to go deep, we've got some of that too. That's great. And I had another really good question that just uh, slipped my mind. But this has been a really good interview. And I'm, I'm sorry about the technical difficulties. We're going to try to patch this up the best that we can. But I'm sitting here going, man, maybe it's that Satan doesn't want this stuff to get out. Because mm-hmm. this is this is like next level kind of or, or like core level stuff. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, the, the thing, you know, about worldview, I, I, I'm not criticizing anybody that does that because I did it for 30 years. Uh, uh, and, and it's the only weapon we had, you know, but the culture's moved on. The battle's moved on. It's an outmoded weapon. It's, it's like uh, uh, riding cavalry into a space battle. <laughs> you can do that if you want to, but, <laughs> but, but the battle has changed. But we haven't. We haven't adapted to it. And that's what this does. This is bringing particle beam weapons to a space battle. Uh, and, and it cuts right through to the bottom of... Uh, what these uh, woke ideologies are all about, what some of these deceptive things that are being taught in university classrooms. It gives the students the ability to see it for themselves. They don't have to be told what to think. They'll know how to think for themselves, and they'll be able to resist those false messages. Dave Richardson, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us on the CC Podcast. 
It'll be fun to watch how this kind of develops and expands. What, what stage are you at, by the way, in the process of kind of taking it out there? We're brand new. Uh, we're, we're just getting off the ground. Uh, we're just finishing the courses. The book's been out for a little bit. The app, of course, has been out for a little bit. Uh, but we're, uh, we're starting to uh, build out this whole family of uh, educational resources so that we can equip a whole army of people, not just a few experts like me. So are you not at a stage yet where you've heard feedback? No, about? not yet. I, I, okay. I get them from time to time. Uh, and I've, I see stories, uh, you know, of, of professors that have come to Christ because they used my stuff or students where, oh, I didn't understand that that's what was inside that, uh, that video game. Yeah, it is. Uh, so it gives them uh, some d- discernment to be able to uh, relate truth from God in the Bible. To awesome. Dave, thanks for your time. The CC Podcast Conversations is part of Christian Crusaders Radio and Internet Ministry, started in 1936 and is one of America's longest-running radio ministries. We are 100% donor-funded, and donations to our ministry are tax-deductible. So if you are encouraged, challenged, or inspired by today's conversation, please consider making a donation on our website, christiancrusaders.org, or mail a check to Christian Crusaders, 7401 University Avenue, Cedar Falls, Iowa, 50613. In addition to our other podcasts, which I mentioned at the front of this episode, I want to mention two of our other ministry partners worth checking out. First, the Cedar Falls Bible Conference, equipping believers with the truth of God's Word since 1922. Visit cedarfallsbibleconference.com for free access to previous conference content or for more information about upcoming events. Second is Power to Change Digital Strategies, an online ministry partnering volunteer Christian mentors with people around the world searching the internet for answers. If you or someone you know could benefit from an anonymous online conversation with a caring Christian adult, go to issuesiface.com. Or if you would like to be a volunteer Christian mentor, please visit p2cdigital.com. That's the letter P, the number two, and the letter C, digital.com. See our episode notes for details and links, and remember to subscribe, leave a five-star rating, and write a review. God's richest blessings to you, and thanks again for listening.